about if um, if I'm being a little transparent, I started to think about I may have a a slight addiction. Um, and my and when I say slight, I mean just very very slight. Um, I love Amazon Prime. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being honest. Like when I cut, when I get home and I see a little box that has, has a little Amazon sticker at, I get so happy inside because I know it's literally something I ordered yesterday and it's mysteriously at my door the next day. It's one of the coolest things. Um, when I'm bored, sometimes I just scroll through Amazon Prime. I should probably be reading my Bible. Okay, I, I know that, but I get on Amazon. I'm looking like, hey, look, that looks cool. Oh, that would be neat. I really need one of those. Matter of fact. Today, just today, um, before I got to church, I fell and slipped on some ice and hurt my hip. While I was talking to Tina about it, and Tina said, you know what you need to get? And it's this big, like, what's it called, Tina? A Theracane. And it's this big cane that will massage all parts of your body. And she said, it's on Amazon Prime. And my, I just kind of perked up. I was like, oh, is it really? So, so I may be buying me a Theracane today. I'm not sure. But, but we are. I think at times, most of us, I think if we're honest, most of us at times are kind of addicted to stuff, right? We like stuff. If you just, just think about it, think about Black Friday shopping, right? We, I think a lot of times say, well, I'm going because I'm going to buy gifts, for other people, but then a lot of times we come with stuff for us because it was just a really super good deal and we really need an extra pair of sheets or whatever it is, towels, whatever it may be. There's a New Year's Day sales that happen at different department stores, 70% off, all these things. We're really addicted to stuff. My grandmother all the time would go shopping. I remember this as a kid just vividly. Every It, it almost seemed like every day she'd go shopping. And she'd come home and my grandfather would be sitting there. She's like, she'd come in with several bags and he'd just kind of shake his head. And she's like, but Jack, I saved you so much money. All of this was originally 600, but it only cost me 100. And she'd kind of go off to the room excited. And I'd look at him and said, but didn't she just spend money? He would just, son, just, just don't. So she would say, I saved you money, but yet she really spent money, okay? You know, you know how that goes. But we're kind of addicted to stuff. And you know, the Bible talks about money and over 2,000 times. And that's a lot. And I really began to wonder, why does the Bible give that much real estate space to money? Why does it really talk? And then when I had children, it kind of really hit home for me. Because kids, when they're first born, are super adorable. And then once they hit like 18 months, they learn a word. And that word is mine. And everything there is then theirs, right? It's mine, it's mine. And they're not going to share with somebody else. That's one of the first things we try to teach our kids, right? Is how to share. Okay, but this idea of mine, this stuff is mine, it's kind of almost ingrained in them from the very beginning. And I think God talks about money so much because he knows that is the one thing that will always compete with our heart. Money and stuff is the one thing that will always compete with our affections, especially in our relationship with God. It's the one thing that will always compete. It's that one thing that will always, at many times, sometimes get in the way of our relationship. 
because we will we will come up with a lot of ways to a lot of, to justify a lot of different things. Well, I have to do this because we have to have this, or I do this because of this, and it's the one thing that really kind of competes with our affections. And we learn at a very young age to be kind of a closed-handed mentality. When we talked about with the baby, it's, it's mine, it's mine, it's a very closed-handed mentality, but God wants us to live in a mindset of open, have an open-handed mentality. Last week we talked about the scarcity cycle, if you remember. We talked about the scarcity cycle that so many of us get trapped in. The scarcity cycle goes like this, God supplies. God supplies us a paycheck. He supplies for us, and as soon as God supplies, what do we do? We consume. We immediately consume it. God supplies it, and we immediately consume it. And then what happens is we then begin to lack. And when we feel that, that lacking because we don't feel like we have enough to make it through to the next paycheck, fear then kicks in. Then the next paycheck hits and we take a deep breath. God has supplied, but then the problem is we consume all over again. And we consume and then we lack and then we fear. God supplies, we consume, we lack, we fear. And it's just this constant cycle over and over again. I want to encourage you to write this down. It's your first fill-in. The scarcity cycle starts in the heart, not in the wallet. The scarcity cycle starts in the heart, doesn't start in the wallet, doesn't start with how much you have in your bank account. It really starts in the heart. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, it's not on your screens. It simply says this, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, that scarcity mindset really starts in our heart. Our choices, our lifestyle, our behavior patterns can always be traced back to what's in our hearts. That's why scripture tells us all the time to guard our hearts tells us to, to guard our hearts and to make sure we're protecting our hearts. So before we jump in to today's sermon, I want to challenge you to take a look at your heart. Allow God to reveal your heart to you today. And allow God to reveal your heart and, and really reveal, God, in my heart, am I an open-handed person or am I a, a closed-fisted person? It's easy for us to say, well, I live open-handedly. But most of us, I think if we're being honest, most of us probably live more with a closed fist than we do an open hand. And the reason we live with a closed fist, many of us, is because we're just trapped on that scarcity cycle of God supplies, we consume, we lack, we fear, and then we start all the way over again once the next paycheck hits. So really, I just my prayer and my challenge for you is really allow God to speak to your heart. So with that being said, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles or your tablets, you can, it'll be on the screens um, in front of you. Mark chapter 6, this is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, so to give us a little bit of context here, there's more than just 5,000 people, okay, that's, that Jesus is talking to. In biblical times, they numbered men. They didn't number the women and children. So most the theologians believe there's probably fifteen to 20,000 people present right now. Okay, That's the crowd that Jesus is talking to. So we're going to pick up in verse 34. It says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him, and said, this is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to a surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So the disciples, Jesus shows up. 
He sees a huge crowd of people, so Jesus immediately has compassion on these people and he begins to teach them. And the Bible says it had become very late. Okay, Jesus had been doing this all day. It's now getting into the evening. And disciples come to him, and I think probably a little selfishly, and they're like, hey, Jesus, um, I know you're teaching and everything, but I'm not quite sure if you know what time it is. Um, it's, it's past lunchtime, it's past dinner time, it's, it's time for people to eat. And by the way, we're really hungry too. I really think that's kind of their mindset. It's no different than you guys looking at your watch and be like, man, I wish he'd hurry up because I'm getting a little hungry and my favorite restaurant opens at this time. And if we don't get there at this time, we're not going to get a seat, okay? That's what's kind of happening right here with the disciples. All right, they're like, Jesus, you can teach these people some other time. All right, can you just be quiet right now? Because these people really need to eat. But notice what they say. They say, send these people into the villages to buy some food. Okay, so that kind of shows you a little bit of their mindset. But look what Jesus said, verse 37. But he answered, speaking of Jesus, you give them something to eat. They said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it, the, give it to them to eat? So Jesus says, okay, gentlemen, if these people are hungry, you feed them. And their thought was like, well, hold on. That's going to take a half a year's wages. That's going to take a half a year of our salary to actually be able to do that. Jesus, do you really expect us to feed these people? We don't have that. You notice where the disciples are at right now. They're kind of in that scarcity cycle. We don't have it, Jesus. We don't have it to do anything with. But notice what Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? He's asked a very simple question. Well, how much bread do you have? They said, it's going to take this much, and we don't have near that much. So Jesus says, well, how much do you have? And then he said, go and see. And then it says, when they found out, they said, five and two fish. So they come back and say, Jesus, all we have is five loaves of bread and two small fish. That's not even going to feed us 12. There's no way that's going to feed 20,000 people. Jesus, it ain't happening. And I love the question that Jesus asked them. What do you have? It's a very simple question. He asked them, what do you have? Notice he didn't ask them how much money they had. He didn't ask them how much money they make. He just simply said, what do you have? And I believe that's the question Jesus is proposing to each and every one of us today. When we talk about this idea of the power of giving, Jesus is simply asking this question, what do you have? Not how much do you make, not how much is in your bank account, but what do you have? The disciples immediately go to the thought of what? That's not enough. There's not enough, Jesus. We don't, we don't have enough. So he simply asks, what do you have? And while the disciples are looking through the lens of scarcity, Jesus is looking through the lens of abundance. I encourage you to write this down. Scarcity asks this, what can I afford? Abundance asks, what do I have? I want you to think about this. What if each and every one of us lived in the mindset or looked through the lens of abundance and thought about what do I have? Now, this, doesn't may, this maybe not, won't always mean money, 
Okay, we're talking about giving, but that doesn't necessarily always equate to dollars, if you will. So this is the idea of what, what do we have. Maybe you have something that somebody needs. For example, maybe you're done having children and you find out somebody is pregnant. And you know they probably can't afford all the baby stuff. And you've got some baby stuff stocked away in your garage that you've thought about selling, but you just haven't got around to it. Maybe you can give them a crib. Maybe you can give them a car seat. It's the idea of what do you have? I remember when we found out we were, we were pregnant with Micah. One thing Becca wanted was a rocking chair. That's what she wanted. My uncle found out about that. My uncle happened to have my mom's old rocking chair. And he sat and refinished it. And he was a woodworker, did all these things to it. And he gave that to us. It didn't cost him any money. It cost him some time and some effort. But he had looked at something that he had had and said they could use this. So it's the idea of what do you have? Maybe you know someone with a large family and you have a garden that you all the time have more vegetables than what you need. Maybe you can give that, that family some vegetables to help them just in their everyday providing for their family. It's the idea of, of what do you have? <laughs> when we lived in Granbury, Texas, um, when we worked at the children's home, my wife had this Nissan Altima. Okay, it was the first car we'd ever bought. We'd had it for a long time. And we knew we were going to be moving to New York. And we weren't going to take both of our vehicles. Uh, we were going to take the little CRV we had. And then my plan was to sell the Nissan Altima. That's what I was going to do. And then my wife came to me and said, God told me we need to give this away. And I said, well, God didn't tell me that. <laughs> And she goes, no, God told me we need to give this away, and we need to give it to Sarah. Sarah was a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours. Her car had basically just kind of blown up. Okay, it was, her car was rough anyway. It was literally, it was done. And she goes, God said we need to give this to Sarah. I said, well, God didn't tell me that. God told me we need to sell it. <laughs> but here's the problem. I was living in the scarcity mindset. And my wife had faith, and she was like, well, I think you need to pray about it. And I told her, I think you need to stop telling me what to do because I know what we're going to do. And then I said, fine, I'll pray about it. And I hadn't sat down to pray about it and I already knew what we needed to do. God says, you have this, just give it. And that's what we did. And here's the crazy thing. I literally thought that car was going to last another six months. That car lasted Sarah and her husband, Michael. She ended up getting married three or four years later for about seven more years. That was the car that just wouldn't die. <laughs> and we see them every time we go to Texas to visit. And she all the time, she's like, you don't know how much of a blessing that was. See, it's the idea of looking at what do I have? None of those situations I talked about involved money per se. Which the idea, what do I have that maybe somebody else could use or somebody else could need? It's that idea of looking through the lens of abundance. Abundance asks, what do I have? And I think we fooled ourselves into thinking that when our bank account is larger or our salary is higher, then we can be open-handed. 
well, if I made just a little bit more money, then I'll be open-handed. But Scripture is very clear. Luke 16, verse 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. God is basically saying, it doesn't matter if you're not open-handed now on making very little, you won't be open-handed later. It doesn't work that way. We fool ourselves into thinking, if I have a little more, then I'll have more to give, or I'll be more generous then. But God says, well, hold on. When you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. But if you're not faithful with little, you're not going to be faithful with much. It's a very scriptural principle. Let's continue in our story of the feeding of 5,000. Verse 39, it says, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he, speaking of Jesus, gave thanks and broke the loaves. He then gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And look at this, verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. All 20,000 people ate and were satisfied. That blows my mind. Five loaves, two fish. Now, I think we need to keep something in perspective. The two fish were not like 80-pound tunas, okay? These are small fish. The five loaves of bread aren't three-foot French loaves, okay? These are tiny loaves of bread that somebody would probably pack for what they would consider to be their lunch, Okay, so it wasn't a lot of food to begin with, but it says they all ate and were satisfied. The first, number one, God multiplies what is blessed. God multiplies what is blessed. Our God is in the multiplication. He desires to multiply in abundance. I think sometimes we get this negative perception of God. It's almost like we perceive God to be this mighty deity up in heaven who's just looking down on us and really isn't concerned about our day-to-day lives. I think we fool ourselves into thinking that God isn't concerned about what happens to us on a day-to-day basis. And I think we fool ourselves into thinking that because we really feel like we're just too insignificant. Why would God really pay attention to little old me, right? God has got much bigger things to worry about. I mean, there's like world peace and world hunger, all those things. That's much bigger to worry about than what's going on in my own day-to-day life. So when we think that way, we, we know he's there, but most of the time we really believe that he probably doesn't really care. And maybe he may bless us, maybe he may not. It just depends if he happens to be paying attention to us at the right time. We just have this negative mindset, but all those ideas are the farthest from the truth. God is absolutely crazy about you. He is absolutely crazy about you. He loves you, and he proved that love by sending his son to die on a cross for us. But God desires for you to have an abundant life. Okay? He wants you to have a life to the fullest. God wants you to have that type of life. Look what it says, John chapter 10 and verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But look what Jesus says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God desires that you have an abundant life. Now, that abundant life may not look a certain way. It may not have a certain... What you think is abundant is different than what God thinks is abundant, okay? Many times we think abundance is having enough money in the bank, 
having enough of this or having enough of that. And God says, I want you to have an abundant life. God says, I want you to have a life full of joy, a life full of peace. I want you to understand a very simple principle that if you trust me in your everyday life, I'll provide for you. And if I'm providing for you, then you'll always have enough. If I'm providing for you, then you'll always be living in abundance. So God says, I desire for you to have an abundant life, but I also want you to live and look through the lens of abundance. Stop thinking about what you don't have and what you lack and start looking at the things that you do have. One of the biggest things that so many people do now is you get on Facebook, right? And there's a Facebook marketplace. Everybody's trying to sell something, right? It's like old pots and pans. Let me just see if I can sell these, right? And it's, if I can just make a couple bucks. God says, live through the lens of abundance. What do you have that maybe somebody else could use? What do you have that, that I could take and bless? God wants, to have an, have us, God wants us to have an abundant life. He desires to bless his children, but we have to live open-handedly. Remember what we said last week. 90% with God's blessings will always go farther than 100% without his blessings. I really believe that. Talked about tithing last week and the importance of giving that 10%. And the scriptural principle is very clear that 90% with God's blessings on it will always go further than 100% without his blessings. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we read this verse last week. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I love this verse for a couple reasons. One, God simply says, I get it, you're unsure about living through the lens of an abundance. I get that you're unsure about being generous. I get that you're unsure about giving in general. So God simply says this, test me in this. God says, try me. Just try it. Try to live generously. Try to live and look through the lens of abundance instead of the lens of, of looking through the cycle of scarcity. Try it and see if I don't provide. Try it and see if I don't show up and see if I don't do exactly what I promised I would do. It's almost like God is saying, just take it for a test drive. Just take it for a spin and just see if it doesn't work. But I also like this verse because it says... God calls himself the Lord Almighty. Think about that for a moment. He says, try this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Lord Almighty tells me a couple things. Number one, God doesn't lack for resources. He's a Lord Almighty. Everything is under his control. Everything is under his power. So when God says, test me in this, this is a God who has unlimited resources. When God says, test me in this and see if I don't provide, this is a God who's saying, I have unlimited provision. Test me in this, I am the Lord Almighty. And then I love it how he says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings, you won't be able to store it. God says, if you live through the lens of abundance, Test me in this. 
and see if I don't provide and bless you with more than you even thought I could bless you with. I've seen a lot of people in my life who live so generously, and you probably have too. People, they just, they just give, and that's just what they do. It's just part of who they are. It's almost like it's ingrained in them. It's just part of their DNA, and being in church work for as long as I have, I've seen that so much. People who give so much of their time, so much of their stuff, so much of their finances, and whenever I see these type of people, I always like to ask them this question. How have you been able to be generous for so long? How have you been able to do this for so long? Nine times out of ten, this is the answer I get. Well, we just believe that God will do what he says he will do. That's always the answer we get. Every time. I ask him, why are you so generous? I just believe God will do what he says he'll do. If God says if I live generously, he'll provide, I just believe that. I don't question, I just believe. If God says, test me in this, a long time ago I said, okay, I'm going to test you in this, and we've never been disappointed. We've never lacked. I had one, one older gentleman says, you know what, I may not have always driven the nicest car, but I always had a car to drive. We may not have always went out to eat, but we always had food on our table. He's like, I just believed what God said. When God said, test me in this. I believe God would provide. So I stepped out in faith. And he goes, and he provided so I couldn't help but be generous because God kept providing. Number two, God multiplies what is given away. We're going to see the story of the feeding of the 5,000 from a bit of a different angle in Matthew chapter 14. Disciples just told Jesus what they don't have, basically. Remember, he said, hey, you feed them. And they're like, we don't have enough. He says, well, what do you have? And they're like, well, all we got is this. It's not much, but this is all we got. So look at Jesus' response. He says, bring them here to me. And he directed people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. This right here is where the miracle happens in this story. And this is what I think we've got to grab a hold of. They went in verse 19, and it says, He gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. This is where the miracle happens. I think sometimes, when I used to read this story when I was just kind of brand new to the faith, I'd read this story and I felt like this is how it played out in my mind. Jesus took the five loaves and he held them up and he said, God, bless this. God, do something with this. And out of nowhere, like a truckload of food showed up. Okay? That's kind of how I pictured the story going in my mind. Jesus was like, God, bless this. And all of a sudden, a big whale landed. On the, and then a big truck pulled up with bread. Okay, that's kind of how I pictured the story. But that's not what happens. He says, God bless this. Hands five loaves and two fish to his disciples and says, go feed people. The miracle happened as soon as the disciples allowed it to leave their hands. Do you grab a hold of that? As soon as it left their hands is when the miracle happened. That's when the miracle happened. I really believe this. The miracle would have never happened if the disciples held on to it. Amen. It wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have the feeding of the 5,000 if the disciples held on to it and said, well, I don't know if it's enough. 
Jesus, I know you blessed it and all, but you blessed it, but there's still only five here. The miracle happened as soon as it left their hands. Now, I have no doubt when the disciples begin to give this food out that the first couple people, they were like, there's a crumb, there's a crumb, there's a crumb. You're a little bit bigger, so here's two crumbs, okay? That's, I really feel that's probably what happened. But then after 10 to 12 people, and they're looking down in their basket, and they're like, there's still food. Sure, they're like, okay, well, here's a piece. Here's a piece. And they look down, there's still more. And all of a sudden, the disciples have caught what's happening at this point, right? They understand, holy cow. He's providing. So I'm sure at this point, the disciples were like, here's a loaf. Here's a loaf, right? They're just, they're going nuts and they're just being unbelievably generous at this point because God has provided. That is the beauty of the story. As soon as it left their hand is when the miracle happened. But I love verses 21, 20 through 21. Look at verse 20. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. Now look at this. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Think about this for a moment. They started with five loaves and two fish. Off of that, they fed 20,000 people. And then they had leftovers. <coughs> they had 12 doggy bags, if you will. I started to think, why 12? Well, there's 12 disciples, aren't there? I really believe at this particular moment, God is teaching his disciples a lesson more than he's teaching anybody else a lesson. When it's all said and done, they each walk back to him, and each one of them have a basket full of food. And I'm sure at that moment they're like, oh, <laughs> We get it. You can provide for me. You can provide for me. I think it's easy for us to look and say, God can provide. Look at how he provides for this church. Look how he provides for the missionaries. Look how he provides for this person, but look how he provides for that person. I think it's very difficult for us to stop and look and say, God can provide for me. For little old me, for little old insignificant me that I feel like nobody else sees, God can provide for me. That's what he's trying to teach his disciples. He picks up a full basket full. Look at verse 21. It says, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Jesus asked them a very simple question. What do you have? Not how much money do you have. The disciples immediately went to money, didn't they? They immediately said, it's going to take a half a year's wages to feed these people. Well, Jesus simply said, what do you have? What do you have? And they said, all we have is this. It's not much. This is all we got. And Jesus says, well, just bring it here. Tell everybody to sit down. Jesus blesses it and then gives it to his disciples. Here's the thing. God supplies. 
He gives it to his disciples. He supplied for his disciples. Now at that moment, they have a choice. They could have consumed what Jesus gave them and just them themselves ate. But what would have happened? They would have lacked. And then fear would have set in. But God supplied. And instead of living closed-fisted, they lived open-handed and said, okay, God, we're going to allow this to slip through our fingers and go to others. And the end of the story, they picked up 12 basketfuls worth of leftovers. 12 of them. <coughs> Northside, I think it's easy for us to look through the lens of scarcity and wonder, how are we going to be generous? It's easy for us to look through that lens. It's easy for us to live in that cycle of scarcity and just think, well, how can I even be generous? I, I, don't, I don't make enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. But Jesus is really asking you one question today. What do you have? What do you have that you can be generous with? What do you have that you can begin to see through the lens of abundance? A few next steps. Number one, stick with your giving goal. I challenge you to set a giving goal last week. My challenge for you this week would be stick to it. It's very easy to make a commitment in a service, right? Super easy to make a commitment. We make commitments all the time. The hard part is sticking to those commitments, right? We talked about New Year's resolutions last, last week and how it's easy to make a New Year's resolution. It's hard to stick to New Year's resolution on January 2nd. Okay, we understand that. It's easy to make it, so stick with your giving goal. Number two, look for ways to be generous. Look for ways to be generous. Think about what you have that you may be able to bless somebody else with. Look for ways to be generous. Number three, see through the lens of abundance. Refuse to live on that cycle, that scarcity cycle, and see through the lens of abundance. Will you bow your heads with me?